0: Let's pray together. So in these next few minutes, O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts and minds be acceptable in your sight. Because you are our rock and you are our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, some of you might not be that familiar with this whole idea of christ the king sunday or some of you might know christ the king sunday where did that come from why are we doing that and hopefully like all of the other things that we do at this church it has its foundation and its base in scripture it it comes from um, revelation chapter 17 verse 14 where john writes to the church they whoever they might be and you can fill in your own they We'll wage war against the Lamb. We'll wage war against Jesus. We'll wage war against the people of God. But the Lamb will triumph over them. Because He, meaning Jesus, is the Lord of Lords and He is the King of Kings. We are going to celebrate, as you should, with a celebration of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, a great feast together in a few minutes. And... um, To prepare for that, let me just remind you that uh, today we're going to do intinction, and when we do intinction, you leave your seats to the left and you come down and you get a piece of bread and a cup from one of the elders and you drink at the station and then you place the cup in the receptacles and return to your seats. Um, All the bread today is gluten-free for those of you for whom that's a concern. Uh, Also we want to invite everyone uh, who um, has been baptized in the Lord Jesus Christ to come and partake in this sacrament. And one more thing, we know that everybody can't physically come down these aisles and take communion. So if that's the case, we also have elders who will come back and serve you. They call it delivery service. I think that's a little crass, um, but we'll do it. All of this will come after we wrestle with these two questions. What is Christ the King Sunday? What does it mean that Jesus is the King of Kings? And secondly, what difference does it make? that Jesus is the King of Kings. Is there any practical significance? So from the book of John, again, the very first chapter, there's this introduction. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve as God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. And then in verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, whenever... um, Whenever there's a, a reading from the book of Revelation, you know, people's hearts beat a little bit faster and they get kind of excited. They're gonna go, oh man, he's gonna talk about all these prophecies and how the end of the world is coming and how this is a sign of that and that's a sign of that and we're gonna get to either be really excited, really confused by the end, but I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful that we're going to the book of Revelation, which is the wrong way to approach it. I mean, the author tells you exactly what he's trying to do. There is some prophecy, there is some prediction you can gain from it uh, for the future. Um, it's not too specific. Like one of the things I think the book of Revelation said is there will be wars and rumors of wars. Well, if you're a history person, when hasn't there been wars and rumors of wars? They're kind of always there. Christ is going to return. It will mark the end of the world. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. But John writes, I'm writing to a church. In fact, I'm writing to a group of churches. I'm writing to seven churches in Asia. And, and these seven churches are in an area of the world. You know, you might be thinking, oh, Asia, let me see, China, South Korea, North Korea, Japan. What are the seven churches in Asia? But that's the wrong Asia. We're talking about Asia Minor, an area in Europe, or in the Middle East, excuse me, Asia that had seven churches strategically located throughout that area to uh, plant churches and to evangelize what was known as Asia Minor. And what Paul was doing in the midst of all this persecution and difficulty that they were facing was to write them a letter of encouragement. John, I'm writing to the seven churches in the province of Asia. He's writing a letter of encouragement in the midst of everything that they're facing and all that they are doing. And so I wanna just take a couple minutes to look at at three different things. That that Jesus Christ is the King of Kings and um, he has uh, ultimate scope unlimited scope for his ministry he has ultimate authority and he has unprecedented benevolence i came up with that myself all those U's. that's pretty good huh yeah i did that this week and i go wow who am i how did i come up with that i hardly ever do this you know it's amazing but unlimited scope i am the alpha and the omega says the lord god who is who was and who is to come i am the almighty he is the beginning and the end so john who also wrote the Gospel of John, begins that Gospel by saying, In the beginning was the Word. Which is a way of saying, Christ was in the very beginning. The Word is one of the names that we use for Jesus. And in the beginning, at the very beginning of time, this is where we get part of our Trinitarian doctrine, Jesus was there. In the very beginning, before creation, Jesus was there. In the beginning was the Word. And then you go to the book of Revelation, and it tells you that in the end... When the world ends as we know it, it will be because Christ will have returned. So He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. The Alpha, the very first word in the Greek alphabet. The Omega, the very last word in the Greek alphabet. Jesus is always present. He is universal. He's always existed and He always will exist. And His influence is unlimited. He is who is, who was, and who is to come. He is the past. He is the present. He is the future. There's nothing that has happened, there's nothing that has happened, there's nothing that is is happening right now, and there's nothing that will happen that Jesus isn't a part of. I mean, Paul writes this amazing verse in Ephesians that he knew us before the foundations of the world. Before the world existed, God knew who you were by name. He could go through every row and tell you who you were. And he knew that before the world was ever created. That's mind-boggling to me, but that's ultimate knowledge and ultimate presence. So he knows the past. He knows the present. He knows the future. The king of kings is not distant. He's not absent. He doesn't take vacations. He doesn't wash his hands of situations or people's interests. He's constantly and always involved. Sometimes we don't perceive it that way, But that's the truth. The people of the churches of Asia needed to know that. It brought them comfort and assurance and perspective. It should do the same for us. Like when we have questions about our self-worth, or we wonder um, about whether or not we have any ability to have friends or relationships, or when we're having a difficult time with a relationship, that we have a compassionate King. And not just a person who's a friend who will listen, but is the King of Kings who also has power to do something about what we're facing. It means that when we feel like no one understands, or that no one really cares, or that no one really wants to help, or that we'll never make it through whatever it is we're going through at the moment, that we're wrong. Because there's always the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega. And even though we don't feel it, he's always present. He is. He has unlimited scope in our lives. He also has an ultimate authority. Jesus is all-powerful. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. And this one kind of makes us wonder. I mean, it's okay to ask honest questions here. I asked these questions all last week. If Jesus has ultimate authority, is the ruler of the kings of the earth, and everybody else is underneath him, how does he let something happen like what happened in Paris last week? Innocent people, bombed, shot, killed. How does this king of kings let some gang members take a nine-year-old boy out behind an alley and shoot him dead? Because his dad's in a gang. How does the Lord of Lords and King of Kings let that happen? If Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth, in some ways it seems like he's failing miserably. Well, at least from our perspective. You see, and that's the most important thing in this whole concept, is it's from our perspective. Our perspective is limited to the here and now, it's what's happening in my life in the moment. Our perspective is limited by our wants and our desires and our hopes and our dreams. We wonder why God doesn't let us have what we want to have when we want it. The King of Kings, who is the ruler of the earth, has a completely different perspective on life. His closest friends were in shock at the brutal treatment that he received the last hours of his life. They couldn't even bear to be present when Jesus was hung on the cross for two reasons. One is, they couldn't watch their rabbi suffer that way. And secondly, they didn't want to be next. So they completely distanced themselves from that whole cross scene. And from their perspective, right, that was the end. It's done. We put all our hopes in him, and now it's over, it's gone. But three days later, their whole perspective changed, did it not? Through the resurrection, they knew that he wasn't done, that he was alive and well, and then he visited them on a regular basis. And a few weeks later, their perspective changed again, because they received the power of the Holy Spirit, and they were enlightened, as we say. Their eyes were opened to a whole new way of viewing the world, and their lives, and Christ's death, and Christ's resurrection, it was completely changed. And months and months later, as they suffered their own persecution for being believers of Jesus Christ, and were starting churches and were evangelizing everywhere, their perspective was very different than it was when Jesus was going to that cross. Because now they can be confident in their death. Because their perception was so different, it wasn't the end, it was only the beginning of something new and better for them. What John is writing is a perspective that God has. I mean, I know out that out there in the seven churches in Asia that things may appear to be bleak. But I am the king of kings. And ultimately, my power will prevail. You see, these seven churches were church plants, and church plants are notoriously difficult. I think only two out of every ten church plants actually succeeds and continues to be a church. It's like businesses, startups, right? They aren't very successful either. It's about the same percentage, It's difficult, hard, painful work. Um, Pastor Greg was a church planter in Ludington before uh, he he came here, and they they got a church started there with another uh, associate, but he also cobbled together a living by teaching at the college and doing some organ work in other churches and other things because that's, I mean, it's just difficult, hard work, church planting. And you add the regular church planting stuff that we know about today to the churches in Asia, you add this little element. You were likely to be killed because you were a Christian. You were likely to be killed because you were a church planter. And you were definitely on the hit list if you were doing any kind of evangelism. So can you imagine what kind of good news it was for John to write to those churches in Asia Minor that Jesus Christ is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and has ultimate authority over all things? And he gives us gifts that make a difference in our lives every day. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and made us to be priests to serve his God and his Father. This king, our king of kings and lord of lords, loves us. And not in a kind of sentimental, romantic kind of love only. There is that element to his kind of love. But his love is much deeper than that and much stronger than that. It's a love that gives rather than takes. It's a love that sacrifices rather than protects. It's a love that is not distant, but is intimate. God's love is a kind of love that is described in John 3.16, that famous verse that we, you know, memorize and have at the tip of our tongues at all times and sometimes miss the significance of the definition of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Love gives. Love sacrifices. Love pays the ultimate sacrifice. He gave, as in holding nothing back. His love for us is most clearly expressed in the death of Jesus Christ on our behalf. It's freely given and it's not earned. And we can do nothing to lose it. I mean, this word, love, here in this passage, is in the present tense. He loves and will keep on loving us. His love will never end. We can't do anything to get rid of the love of God. It's always there for us. Now I suppose if you were a part of a first- century church that's struggling for survival and wondering if your church is ever going to be able to keep meeting, or whether or not you'll even be alive tomorrow, it'd be a little bit reassuring to know that in spite of all appearances, the King of King loves you. And in the darkest moments of our lives, when we feel lonely and alone, when we question whether we're worthy of anyone's love, it's good to know that the King of Kings loves us. And he forgives us. You know, one clear symbol of God's love is the shedding of Christ's blood on the cross on our behalf. We're going to remember that in a few minutes as we take this sacrament together. But remembering that jesus death on the cross paid the price that we that needed to be paid for us to return to intimacy with god we were separated from him because of our disobedience and in the old testament the only way that that, that renewal could take place the intimacy could be reestablished was for someone to offer a sacrifice and that would be a sacrificial lamb jesus christ is the lamb of god right the sacrificial lamb his blood was sacrificed for us Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that this whole idea of of slavery and freedom is an ongoing theme. And it's symbolic of, of our relationship without God, slavery, and the freedom that He brings to us. So the people of Israel are captive in Egypt. They've been captive for centuries, generation after generation after generation. God's going to set them free. He goes to them with plagues, and the last plague is to kill the babies of Egypt. And the way the people of Israel would be protected was to take the blood of a lamb and paint it on their doorstep. And when the angel of death came, they would be passed over. And they would be set free. That would be a symbol of God's freedom and forgiveness. And so it is when we celebrate the sacrament of the Lord Jesus Christ, the cup that we drink, is symbolic of the blood of Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote it this way to the church at Rome. We know that our old self was crucified with him, meaning Jesus, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That that we should no longer be slaves to sin. And and we might think, well, I'm not a slave to anything. I'm not a slave to sin. We, We enslave ourselves to things all the time, most of the time, unconsciously. We're enslaved oftentimes to the expectations of others. We're enslaved to an image that we need to keep, a lifestyle that we need to maintain, an ideal that we have to embrace. We're enslaved to a lot of stuff. And the only one who can set us free is the King of kings and the Lord of lords as we live into our true identity as a child of God. Now, you can get theological concepts and affirmations from everywhere. some of my favorite contemporary theologians um, are the rock band The Eagles. Oh, you don't think... Uh, seriously! This is as deep as I get. But doesn't this speak to the way we enslave ourselves and the freedom that Christ is available? It's from their song, Already Gone. So oftentimes it happens that we live in our lives in chains and we never even know we have the key. Or we might know we have the key... But we forget to use the key. I mean, it it happens all the time that we live our lives in chains. And we never even know we have the key. The King of Kings sets us free. And he makes us priests. And that reference as priests might be kind of lost on us. When we think about priests, we think of Catholic priests or Greek Orthodox priests or Episcopalian priests. We think of clergy people which isn't that far from what the original meaning was. You know, in the Old Testament, the priests were the only ones that could go into the Holy of Holies. They were the only ones who could have themselves in the presence of God. Everybody else had to have someone else. So a priest represented it. I mean, if you wanted to to have something put before God as a prayer request, you gave it to the priest, and he took it before God on your behalf. That's the way it took place. And if you were a pagan living in Asia Minor... You, you didn't even want to get close enough to God to give a request. They're pagan gods they feared and they lived in, in distance from, and they couldn't get anywhere near them. They couldn't imagine being intimate with a God. And Christ took all of that away. Jesus took the need for priests out of our life, and not only did that, he made us priests. I mean sometimes, right, people seem unapproachable. I mean, maybe you think that your boss or supervisor is unapproachable, I'd never take this idea, I'd never ask, I'd never be involved, they're unapproachable, I I can't go to them. Or supervisors or leaders or coaches, Or even pastors but the king of kings the ruler of the king of kings of the earth the boss of all bosses however you want to say it is not only approachable but he wants us to hang out with him he wants us to have this intimate relationship he wants us to come into his presence and as if that isn't enough he makes us priests now we take on this role of the priesthood of all believers it means that We represent God in everything and everyone that we do. When we go out in the community, we're Jesus to those people. We bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's made us his priests, the people who take God to the world. That was the the original idea of a priest, is that the priest would take God to the world, to the people. (laughs) Not to have a special status, but to be the very representatives of God in the world. And so today we're celebrating Christ the King Sunday. Our king has unlimited scope, ultimate authority, and he gives us the gifts of unprecedented benevolence. And that very king has prepared a feast for us. And we eat it in celebration of his kingship. And we receive it as a means by which we live into our own identity as his priests in the world. And the great dynamic of celebrating this sacrament together is that we receive the body and the blood of Jesus Christ which nurture and strengthen our faith so that we can go back out of the world and be the very priest that he's called us to be. Let us pray together. And so, Lord, we come as your children. We come as your subjects. We come knowing that As Peter once wrote to the church, that we are a royal priesthood, that we are princes and princesses of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and we get to represent you in the world. It is not a burden, O Lord, but an honor and a privilege, and so we give you thanks. We come now with thanksgiving to this table of the Lord to eat together as your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us prepare our hearts and minds to partake in this sacrament together um, by reading the liturgy that will appear on the screen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give thanks. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with the angels and the whole company of heaven who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name holy 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 Holy, Holy, lord Lord god God of power and might heaven and earth are full of your glory hosanna in the the highest highest. blessed is he he who comes comes in the name of the lord hosanna in in the highest on the night in which he was betrayed jesus christ celebrated the passover meal with his disciples and during that normal passover meal he reached across the table and he took a regular loaf of Passover bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And the disciples at the time had no understanding of what that meant, and we're blessed with complete understanding of what that meant. He also reached across the table, and he blessed the pitcher of wine, and he poured it out into a cup, and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, which is in my blood, shed for you. Do this also in remembrance of me. And remember that this cup and this bread represent a full remission of all of our sins. Recalling how his suffering and his death and celebrating his resurrection and ascension, we await his coming in glory. Christ, Christ has died. died. Christ has risen. risen. Christ, Christ will, will come, come again. again. And now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to pray together. Our Father, who are in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Hallelujah. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Hallelujah. The gifts of God are here for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. The elders are going to go to their stations and prepare to bless you with this sacrament together. So just take a piece of bread when you come, eat it, go to the cup, get a cup, drink it and then leave it in the receptacle we want you to come for all things are now ready jesus let your kingdom